All right, well, why don't you take your Bibles and turn and open them to Titus chapter 1 this morning. Titus chapter 1. If you've seen the movie, Catch Me If You Can, then you have heard of the story of Frank Abagnale Jr. The movie is based on Abagnale's biography. It depicts the events of this man's life. You may wonder what makes this guy so interesting that they'd make a whole movie about him. And it was the fact that he was probably one of the greatest con men or imposters in American history. After his parents' divorce, he ran away at the age of 16. And he soon began his first scam by writing personal checks on his own overdrawn account. And as banks caught on to this, he would move from bank to bank, each time creating a new identity, just to circle around that way. And soon he moved on to creating his own near-perfect copies of checks, depositing them, and then persuading banks to advance him the cash. Another trick he famously used was to print his account number on blank deposit slips and then sneak them into the stack of the real blank deposit slips in the bank so that when people came in to deposit their money, every now and then would actually go into his account. But beyond bank fraud, Abagnale is perhaps best known for his impersonations. One time he noticed how at the airlines and the car rental companies, they would take the money they made for, their, at the, made for that day in a duffel bag and they would deposit this duffel bag full of cash into this security drop box, this locked Dropbox at the airport. So he got the idea to uh, buy a security guard disguise. And then he hung a sign over the Dropbox reading, out of service, place deposits with the security guard on duty. And then he sat there as the security guard and just took all the money. And he later confessed his astonishment that this actually worked, stating, how can a Dropbox be out of service? This is a good point. Speaking of airports, Abagnale then started to impersonate Pan Am pilots. Fully disguised with forged documentation, he would get on these planes and get free flights by something called deadheading. If you don't know what deadheading is, that's where members of an airline's flight staff are carried free of charge, essentially as passengers, but they're not working. So he wasn't flying the planes, but he basically got free flights because they thought he was a pilot repositioning from one city to another. And so using this method, between the ages of 16 and 18, by the way, so he's still a, a young kid at this time, it's estimated that Abagnale flew over 1 million miles on over 250 flights and visited over 26 different countries. He's also able to bill food and lodging to the airline as well. So I guess that's a sweet deal for him. A few times he was even invited by the actual pilots to, to put his hands on the actual controls and the actual steering wheel or whatever it is. Another time Abagnale forged a Columbia University degree and taught sociology at BYU for a semester. I found that just randomly interesting. But that's pretty much nothing compared to the time when he impersonated a chief resident pediatrician for a year in a Georgia hospital. How this one worked is he befriended a real doctor and he agreed to act as the resident supervisor of the interns as a favor until the hospital could find a real replacement for the position. He forged Harvard Law or Harvard Medical School documents and it was the perfect position for him because he didn't actually have to do any medical work. All he had to do was supervise the interns. And, in the, and it was at the night shift. So whenever someone came in, he just let the interns do all the work. And he was able to fake his way through this duty for the better part of a year. But why stop there? After posing as a doctor, Abagnale tried his hand as posing as a lawyer he forged another Harvard University law transcript and then actually, apparently, actually passed the bar exam of Louisiana. Actually did it. He got a job at the Louisiana Attorney General's office at the age of 19. So he's only 19 now, so he's an old man at this point. And like I said, this guy was an expert con man, an expert impersonator, an expert imposter. Just think of all the people he came into contact with 
and deceived. And every time, he was never what he seemed. He was never what he seemed. People were unsuspecting. They were on guard. They weren't on guard for an impersonator. And so they were easy prey for someone who is skilled and manipulative as a deceiver. And sadly, the church is no stranger to people like this. Many people enter the church, and they are likewise not what they seem. They claim to be Christians, but they're not. They claim to have a pure agenda, but they do not. Instead, they are infiltrators, imposters, even deceivers. And their goal is to mislead the unsuspecting faithful for their own gain. And the Bible refers to such people as false teachers. They come in different kinds. They're not all the same, but they share in common their destructive influence upon the church. And much like Abigail's victims, those in the church are usually unsuspecting. They don't see it coming. Their guard is not up. They're not looking out for counterfeit teachers when they come to church. And so they too are easily swept away. In the New Testament, a lot of ink is spilled talking about false teachers. It may even seem to you unnecessary just how much the New Testament authors talk about false teachers, either warning the church to look out for false teachers or instructing the church on how to deal with them when they come around. But this instruction is not unnecessary. And actually, this teaching on false teachers It's some of the most important teaching in the Bible. I mean, just think. False teachers, they have the ability to completely lead astray a church. And what they do, it's like a Trojan horse attack. They can come in and infiltrate and then spring up from within and take down even the strongest of churches. And along these lines, instruction on false teaching, it's not absent from Paul's letter to Titus. In fact, in all the pastoral epistles, Paul has a lot to say about false teaching. Get this, Titus, it's only 46 verses. Three chapters, 46 verses, but 11 of those verses have to deal with false teachers in one way or another. That's almost 25%. And for a tiny little letter, that's a lot. That's a lot of teaching on false teachers. So why did Paul pay this much attention to false teachers in Titus. Well, because in Crete, it was already becoming a problem. Like I mentioned last week, there are these churches in this on this island called Crete, and they were only a few decades old, and there's this guy named Titus. Paul left Titus behind on this island to go from church to church and appoint elders, to appoint leaders in the church. Because up to that point, there's a serious leadership vacuum. There are these young churches, they're just getting off the ground, And Christ has only been resurrected for a couple of decades at this point. They're just starting, but there's a leadership vacuum, so false teachers are quick to fill that vacuum. So Titus needs to go around from church to church on this island and appoint elders, appoint leaders, because they were really like sheep without shepherds. Anyone could, like Abagnale, fake their credentials, assume authority, and then lead people astray. So this was Titus's mission on this island. And on Crete, as with most churches, there were two categories of false teachers. Two categories. First, there were those who came from the outside. Usually these people don't really even claim to be Christians, but they directly attack the church in order to win people over to their side. Today this would be your, your Mormon or your Jehovah's Witness. But false teachers also come from within, people who claim to be Christians. Now, some of them were genuine believers with genuine motives. They were themselves simply misled. But they weren't going around teaching another gospel. So it's not really who we're talking about here. Instead, we're talking about those people who claim to be Christians, but they enter the church with impure motives and with their own agenda. Some may still be truly saved, like those in Philippians 1, 
There Paul testifies that there are these people who were true believers and they were preaching the true gospel, but they're doing so out of personal gain. They wanted to steal Paul's prestige as an apostle. They wanted the, the fame, you could say, or, or the prestige that he had as an apostle. They had impure motives. But the worst are those false believers in the church who seek to deviously lead people astray according to their own agenda. This type of false teacher is the most dangerous. And this is usually what we think of when we're talking about false teachers. And unfortunately, this is the type of false teacher that appears to have been plaguing the churches on Crete. These men who came in, they claimed to follow Christ, but they were impostors. They were phonies. And their true goal was to lead people astray, to siphon them away from the real church for their own personal gain, for their own agenda. Now, with all this in mind, I think we have enough intro to, to get to our text and see what Paul has to say about this subject in Titus chapter 1. So why don't you read along with me, Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. He says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving... Nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So a lot to say. Paul has a lot to say here about these false teachers. In fact, he says more about false teachers than he does about elders. And when we just covered the elder qualifications, he spends more time on this. Now, living in America, I think we know that this problem of false teachers has not passed. We still have to deal with it. We just walk into Barnes & Noble, go to the Christian aisle, pick up any book, and chances are it's false teaching. I mean, that aisle should pretty much be labeled false teaching. But I don't, So I don't think I really even need to establish the fact, hopefully that tons of false teaching is still floating around the church today. In fact, maybe more than true teaching. So I hope you already understand how important and relevant this instruction is to us. You need to learn how to be discerning to to identify and deal with untrue teaching, don't you? We need to hear these words on identifying and dealing with false teachers so that we can be free from their negative influence. Unless, I don't know, maybe you want to be led astray. And then I guess this doesn't apply to you. But from Titus 1, 10 through 16, I want to give you three critical truths about false teachers. Three critical truths about false teachers so that you might know how to rightly respond to them. That's going to be our our subject. Three critical truths about false teachers so that you might know how to rightly respond to them. And this is going to take us two weeks, this week, next, to cover this. But my hope is that after you're going to be better informed, and better prepared to handle any attacks on the truth. Now today in particular, we're, we're only going to get through the first critical truth. So of the three, we're just covering number one today, and that is the character of false teachers. That's really what we're going to handle today, the character of false teachers. And to start, look again at verse 9, which we finished last week, verse 9. Speaking of an elder, he says an elder must be, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. Why? So that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Part of the job of the elder is to guard the flock and deal with the wolves. That's his job. 
And like I already mentioned, this is all the more important in Crete, this island, because the church was already being plagued by wolves. I mean, they were getting surrounded. And so look at the very next verse, verse 10. Paul says, for, notice the connection there, for there are many rebellious men. Not a few, key word there, many. There weren't just a few rebellious men roaming around, but there were many. So just after explaining how elders must refute those who contradict in verse 9, he goes on to give the profile of those who contradict in verse 10 through 16. And it's, a, it's really a study in contrast. Verses 5 through 9 paint the portrait of godliness, the elder. But then verses 10 through 16 paint the portrait of ungodliness, the false teacher. And with our time today, we want to observe this portrait of false teachers and expose their character so that you can spot the wolf when he's coming. In particular, from these verses... I want to give you ten characteristics of false teachers. So like I said, we have three critical truths. We're only going to look at the first one today. It's the character of false teachers. And under that, ten characteristics of false teachers from these verses. That's what we're going to do. Ten characteristics. And the first one is this. They are rebellious. From verse 10, they are rebellious. He says, very simply, for there are many rebellious men. You guys know what rebellious means. I trust. Literally, this word translates as one who's not under orders. A rebellious person is one who disregards orders. They're independent from authority. Rebellious people, they do what they want. They aren't going to take orders from you. They're not going to listen to you. And notice the contrast here. An elder is supposed to not be self-willed. but That's what these false teachers are known for being self-willed, independent, rebellious. They do their own thing. Normally, you expect this behavior behavior from little children. I think we've all experienced or at least heard of the kid who is just so stubbornly rebellious. And their will is so strong and unbroken that it brings their parents to tears. Heard a story about one mom who related how her daughter refused to clean her room. Just absolutely would not pick up her toys. Just no questions asked. And the mom tried everything. Prizes, rewards, punishments, threats, timeouts. Nothing worked. Much to this mom's extreme frustration. And it's, it's hard to deal with rebellious children. It's harder to deal with rebellious adults. This word for rebellious also has a connotation of refusing to submit to leaders. It pictures one who throws off authority and demands autonomy. This person is not going to be ruled by another, not going to be governed by another, not going to submit to someone else's leadership. It's not going to happen. They're rebellious. Such a person is like a spiritual insurgent. You know, in in Iraq and Afghanistan, from everything we read in the news, U.S. troops have the hardest time in dealing with the insurgents. You know, meet an enemy tank on the battlefield, no problem. Seems like that's why the first Gulf War was relatively quick. But it's when the enemy rises up from within, the rebels from within the population constantly oppose peace and order that it seems like our troops struggle It's the rebels or the insurgents who just constantly attack the peace, incessantly attacking order that give us the most trouble. And false teachers are like spiritual insurgents. They just keep attacking the church and the truth until they're the ones calling the shots. They're just going to keep coming and keep attacking until they're in control. So understand this characteristic, this first characteristic, that they're rebellious and watch out for such people. And specifically, look out for the Lone Ranger Christian. You know what I'm talking about there? The Lone Ranger Christian who shows up, wants to teach you something you've never heard before. Watch out for that person. I mean, you need to be very discerning here. Watch out for the person who is overly independent, 
Watch out for the person who doesn't belong to any local church. I mean, right away, what does that tell you? This person doesn't want to be under other leaders. They don't want to be accountable to someone else. They don't want to submit to someone else. Of course, they want you to listen to them, but they don't want to listen to anybody else. Stay away from these people. And simply put, avoid those who are rebellious. It's our first characteristic of false teachers. Our second is this. They are empty talkers. Secondly, they are empty talkers. Verse 10. It says, for there are first many rebellious men. Secondly, empty talkers. As the NASB translates it. This, these two words in the Greek, or excuse me, these two words in the English come from just one word in the Greek. It's a compound word. It's just kind of mashing together the word for worthless and the word for word. And so that's what we're talking about. Worthless words or foolish speech or empty talk. That's what this means. This word carries the connotation of deception. An empty talker speaks foolish words that carry no truth. When it comes to false teachers, most times they have plenty of content but little substance. They have a lot they want to say, but the problem is that their words are empty. The problem with this, though, is that to the unlearned or the undiscerning, this empty talk can sound captivating and persuasive. If you have someone who speaks confidently, like they really know what they're talking about, for whatever reason, people listen. And you mix in there some half-truths and some twisted scripture references. And to the undiscerning, they're just going to take it right in. They're going to believe it. I relayed this story a couple of Sunday nights ago. But I'll tell it again. How Last year, when I was at my old church, this guy came into the office. And he wanted one of the pastors to read his book that he wrote. I was there. I was on duty. So I took his thumb drive and... I spent some time looking at his stuff, the files he left behind. His book was called, I think, The Alpha Code or something like that. And it was about a secret code hidden in the words of the Bible. That's nice. I didn't know that. In fact, this guy believed that the only words of Scripture that even mattered were the words in red or the words of Jesus. Everything else actually didn't really matter. So he only bases book on the words of Christ. And he felt that God called him to write this book, so he stopped working for two years and he stopped going to church for two years because, well, that makes sense. You you can't be going to church while you're writing a book. And talk about a Lone Ranger Christian, by the way. He was just isolated, doing his own thing. He was above church involvement. And when all was said and done, he had written 700 pages. 700 pages. That, that's a lot. That's a lot of pages. The sad part is he was totally deceived. It was all worthless. It was all empty talk. There wasn't a single sentence with any substance. There's simply 700 pages of the musings of a deluded and deceived man. It's sad. But as crazy as it sounds to me, nevertheless, there's always people who buy into this stuff, who just take it in. Someone can speak empty words so confidently that people will listen. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you're in Titus, just turn left a few books, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to draw on 1 and 2 Timothy a lot in this section because in those pastoral epistles, Paul has a lot to say about false teachers in these three books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 1 Timothy chapter 1. But just notice how similarly Paul starts off his letter to Titus. I mean, just right away, right right out of the gates. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. He says, As I urged you, upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So right away, as he starts this letter, he's, he's instructing him to watch out for these people. And there were apparently plenty of people roaming around teaching strange doctrine or different doctrine, that's what the word means, 
Verse 4. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. So all these false teaching, I mean, is it leading to greater truth about God? No, it's leading to just speculation. It's also known as empty talk. Look at verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to what? Fruitless discussion. That's empty talk. Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. So there you have it, right there. I mean, just because someone speaks confidently doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. As you learn this second characteristic of false teachers, understand that, look, you can't control them. You can't control what they do, what they say, or where they go. But you can't control yourself. You can, and so the responsibility is yours to always be discerning. Because false teachers are, secondly, empty talkers. Third now, third characteristic, they are deceivers from verse 10 as well. They are deceivers. Back to Titus 1, he says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, and third now, deceivers. Good definition of deception is to cause people to no longer believe what is true. To cause people to no longer believe what is true. It's where you lie to people, you mislead them into thinking something that's not true. There's a story of two neighbors where one learned that there was a rich supply of potash under his neighbor's seemingly worthless swampland. Now, if you don't know what potash is, I didn't either. I had to look this up. But apparently, it's a valuable material used in glass making. Okay, so... This guy wanted to make a quick deal with his neighbor and buy his land before he learned what he really had, that he was sitting on essentially a gold mine. So he talked to his neighbor, and he deceived him into thinking that he just wanted the land to graze his cattle. That's it. His neighbor believed him. And being deceived as to the true value of the land, he sold it all for $2,000, the entire plot of land. Much to his surprise, he saw his neighbor dredging out this valuable material just a few weeks later. That's called deception. And false teachers are known for it. When we think of deception, of course, we think of the chief deceiver, Satan. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Revelation 12.9, it describes him as the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. That's what he does. He deceives. That, that's kind of his job. And we know that he's called the serpent of old because he was the serpent in the garden who deceived Eve and led her astray. Remember what he said to her first? First he questioned her. And he said, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? Did he really say that? And then after that, he just straight up, straight up deceived her and said that if she did eat, eat from the tree, that surely she would not die. And what did he do? He deceived her. He caused her to no longer believe the truth. He poisoned her thinking. He made her doubt God. Just think about that. Think about how irrational that is to doubt God. But that is the, the power of deception. It's the power of deception. But don't think that Eve is a special case. Do not think that you are beyond the influence of such deception. You're just as ready a victim as she is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you're there, look at verse 3. He says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Don't think that you're beyond the point of being deceived, because you're not. You are just as susceptible to deception as Eve. 
Later on in this chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul spends a lot of time defending his apostleship. And why does he do that? It's because there are all these people walking around claiming to be apostles, claiming to be Christ's apostles. But in reality, they were false teachers. So now look down at verse 13, same chapter. Look down at verse 13. He talks about these people and he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That's another form of deceit. Verse 14, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Look, here's the point of what he's saying. False teachers rely on deception. They rely on deception. They don't announce their presence. Don't expect someone to walk up to you after church and say, hey, I'm the new false teacher in town. Would you like to come to my Bible study where I'm not really going to be teaching the Bible? Not going to happen. But Satan and his followers, they disguise themselves as true followers of Christ. And although this is sad, this means you have to come to church and still be discerning and still be careful. Because even in the church's walls, there could be a deceiver. Now turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. 2 Timothy chapter 3. One more verse here. You may be wondering, you know, how can these false teachers be so devious in their deception? How, how can they be like this? But you have to remember is that most of them are themselves deceived. They are the first victims of their own crime. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. He says, evil men and imposters, there it is again, imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and what? Being deceived. But the rest of these verses are helpful though because notice in the following verses here the advice given for what you should do. And what should you do when you encounter such imposters and deceivers? Well, verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, verse 16, all scriptures inspired by God, the verse we all know. So what's his answer? When you encounter the imposter or the deceiver, what should you do? Where should you turn to scripture? the sacred writings that give you wisdom. It means you need to know the Bible. You need to be familiar with it, with it, and then you need to measure everything and everyone by it. That's what you have to do. It's your guide to distinguish between the true teacher and the deceiver. For thirdly, false teachers are deceivers. Let's move on, though. Number four on our list, fourth characteristic, they are legalists. They are legalists, also from verse 10. I'll explain what we mean here. Verse 10, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers. And then fourthly, he says, especially those of the circumcision. Now here we get a little more insight into who these false teachers on this island of Crete were. It appears that a good number of them were Jewish Christian legalists. Now, how do I know that? Well, when Paul says, especially those of the circumcision, that's his special term for referring to this group of people. Now, who were they? Well, they were Jews who converted to Christ. As you may remember, pretty much all of the early church early on were Jews who followed Christ. They converted to Christ. But some of these Jews... For them, their conversion was false because they got the gospel wrong. Theirs was a gospel plus message. You know what that is, a gospel plus message? They believe that to be saved, you need the gospel plus works, or the gospel, plus special knowledge, or the gospel plus diets, rites, practices, rituals, etc. It's just adding on something to the gospel to be saved. And that makes it a false gospel. Instead, the only gospel is 
is faith in Christ alone. That to be saved, there's nothing you can do. You can't be good enough. You can't come to church enough. You know, coming to church doesn't get you to heaven. God does not care. Being a good person, trying to be righteous, not going to do it. You can't add anything to the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ, which we read earlier. That's, that's all there is. The true gospel is simply turning from your sins and placing your faith and trust in Christ alone. That's all you can do. Why were they called the circumcision then? Well, these Jewish Christians, they sought to impose the Old Testament law on new believers. And most notably, they demanded that for Gentiles to be saved, they had to get circumcised and then keep the law of Moses. And this is why they were called the circumcision. And when it comes to demanding that Gentiles keep the law of Moses to be saved, this is what makes them legalists. It's pretty much a definition of legalism. But like we read earlier, don't stray from the true gospel, the purity, simplicity of devotion to Christ. Don't stray from salvation by faith in Christ alone. Some people believe that it's too simple, too good to be true. You know, salvation by faith in Christ alone, that's all it takes. See, we've we got to sweeten the deal somehow, right? Maybe i got to come to church to get to heaven or just you know do some good works or to just get me the extra inch, right? Don't stray from the purity of the gospel. Just repentance from your sins, turning to Christ, one and the same thing. That's all there is. You can't sweeten the deal, so don't fall prey to this error. And beware anyone who says otherwise. False teachers are known for imposing their own standards of righteousness and godliness upon others. So if someone comes up to you and they have a standard that doesn't match scripture, watch out. Beware. Don't forget Paul's treasured words in Philippians 3, 8 through 9. You don't have to turn there, but just listen carefully as I read them. Just listen carefully to these words. Philippians 3, 8 through 9, he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, get this, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's it right there. You're not righteous. You you don't come close. All you can do is count on Christ's righteousness to be given to you. That comes through faith alone. We got to move on. Fifth on our list, fifth characteristic of false teachers, they are greedy. They are greedy. Look at verse 11. Continuing on, they say, he says, who must be silenced, verse 11, because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach. Why? For the sake of sordid gain. We'll come back to this verse next week. We'll get into the rest of the details. But just notice the motivation of these false teachers. Why are they doing what they're doing? It says here in the NASB, for the sake of sordid gain. In other words, they're motivated by money. They want to get rich. Of course, there are exceptions to this, certainly. But I think we know this is mostly true. Whereas in verse 7, elders are to be free from the love of money like this. Here in verse 11, you can pick out a false teacher in a lineup by it. And what makes them even worse is that they are interested in sordid gain. That word sordid means vile or dirty. So they're after dirty money. They'll take money or they will make money any way they can. Just recently in the news, there's a story of some man who mugged another person while the other person was having a heart attack. That's the definition of sordid gain. It's just just dirty money. And Cretans, in general, everyone on the island, they were known for this, the whole island. Cicero, the ancient Roman philosopher, he said, moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery 
honorable. And when it comes to money, false teachers, they'll take it where they can get it. The problem is, they can usually get it in the church. They can usually get it in the church. Remember the guy who wanted me to read his book, The Alpha Code? He strolled in. Well, as you can probably guess, what did he want? He wanted money. And a, pa- and a publisher. And a secretary. And reimbursement for the past two years of his labor. At the end of the day, all he wanted was money. This is most often the case. If you're still in Titus, just turn back really quick to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Just one more verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Here again, Paul is speaking of false teachers. Very similar context. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11, he says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So not only should you be free from this love of money yourself, but you should red flag anyone who comes in the church and wants money. Whether you see him on TV or in the pew next to you, stay away from the person who wants to use the teachings of Christ as a money-making venture. And there are plenty out there. Beware of them. For false teachers are our fifth, greedy. Well, the next three characteristics of false teachers, they all come together, so we're going to do them all at once. So five, six, or six, seven, eight, all together now. Number six, they are always liars. Number seven, they are evil beasts. And number eight, they are lazy gluttons. I'm just getting this from verse 12. Six, seven, and eight, all together, they are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Just look at verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, verse 13. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. So here's here's what's going on in verse 12. Paul is quoting this ancient poet named Epimenides. He's a Greek philosopher from the 6th century BC. And in ancient times, he was known as one of the seven great wise men of Greece. And he was from the island of Crete. And he knew his people well. And so what Paul is doing is very shrewdly quoting him here and then agreeing with his testimony in verse 13. So Paul is taking an ancient caricature of these Cretans and he's making a general statement about false teachers. If you get that, that's what he's doing. And the point that he's making is that, in general, these false teachers are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So first he says they're always liars. This goes hand in hand with them being deceivers. They're of their father, the devil, and so they lie and deceive like the devil. Here's the thing, though. This quote, he's quoting someone else. This quote is saying that all Cretans are known for being liars, which is true. If you were from the island of Crete, people already assumed you were a liar. In fact, you can probably guess what the Greek word kretizo means, which is from Crete, which is derived from the word Crete. It means to lie. So if you're from Crete, people already think you're a liar. Now, if you're a false teacher from Crete, you get the point. I mean, you've got to be a huge liar. You've got to be really bad. That's the point he's making. These deceivers, these false teachers, they are liars. Secondly, he describes them as evil beasts. Probably a bad sign when you're described with one of the Bible's favorite descriptions of the Antichrist. An evil beast. Probably not going to look good on your resume. The pictures that Cretans in general, but specifically here, these false teachers are brutes. They've sunk to the level of beasts. Like wild animals, they live based on their sensual appetites and passions. If you know anything about the psychology of Freud, which by no means do I endorse, it's like these people are controlled only by their id. 
Their fleshly passions reign over them and they're controlled by their sin natures. Then lastly, he says these false teachers are lazy gluttons. You probably know what this means. They don't like to work, but they love to eat. Makes sense. They, they kind of go together. This is kind of sad, but the first image that popped into my mind when I was trying to think of an illustration here was the humans from the movie Wall-E. If you see, okay, one person's seen it. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a Disney animated film. It depicts a future where humans have abandoned planet Earth because it's too polluted. So they spend the rest of their days living on these galactic cruise ships. But they don't work, and they eat all day. And so they're just everyone is just massively overweight, and they just roam around on these hover chairs. Anyway, if you've seen the movie, you've got the perfect illustration of lazy gluttons. If you haven't, I'm sorry, you're kind of out of luck. But these false teachers were also lazy gluttons. They lied... They were controlled by their fleshly passions, and they're just lazy. They just want to consume, not doing any true work. We're going to finish things up here and look at our last two characteristics back-to-back as well, number 9 and 10. For verse 15, number 9, they are defiled, and number 10, they are unbelieving. They're defiled and they're unbelieving. Look at verse 15 with me. He says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving... Nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Again, we'll come back to this verse next week, but notice first the same group of people is being described as defiled. Defiled means ceremonially unclean or impure. The best picture I can come up with something being defiled today is a public toilet seat. Would you ever eat off a public toilet seat? And what if I cleaned it? What if I like soaked it in bleach and then cleaned it off? Would you eat off it? If you're like me, no. Probably not. You're probably not going to eat off the toilet seat. Why? It's clean. Well, maybe disinfected, but it's not clean. It's defiled. It's just permanently defiled. That's what the word means. And these false teachers are likewise, they are defiled. They are unclean. Here's the thing, though. Everyone's Everyone's defiled. Every single human being on the planet is defiled and unclean before God. Just one exception to that. Believers. Believers in Christ are those who were once unclean, but they were washed by the blood of Christ, and they were made clean before God. So only by God's work, people who are clean before God are the believers. This really leads to the last characteristic that these false teachers are also unbelieving. They go hand in hand. These false teachers were defiled and hence still unbelieving. He says, lastly, they were still unbelieving. Like I said at the beginning, some of them were perhaps genuine believers who were misled themselves. But the false teachers you really want to worry about the most are those who are in reality unbelieving. Now again, they claim to follow Christ. Of course. False teachers always claim to be orthodox believers. Don't ever forget that. But their faith was false, and they were false believers. How do do I know that? That's kind of a big claim. We're going to look at this a lot more next week, but just look at verse 16. How do you know? They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. That's how you know. Anybody can claim to follow Christ. I could pay someone to claim to follow Christ. How do you know? Their deeds gave them away as being false believers. Listen to a couple of verses. 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, so that means we claim to follow Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Or 1 John 2, 4. The one who says, I've come to know Him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I think we know. You're not saved by works. I hope you get it. But get this. If God has saved you, if God has transformed you by your faith in Christ, you're going to be different. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to 
do genuine works, it's going to show. You can't hide it. You cannot hide the new birth. There should be really no doubt. It should be obvious. The new birth, it's a radical change. And if your life is not radically changed, you probably have not been born again. You're probably still dead in your sins, but you just call yourself a Christian thinking that's good enough. Just a couple weeks ago, my old pastor's son got saved. He's like 19 years old. He's claimed to be a Christian his entire life, but he just got saved. How could that be? I mean, he was a good pastor's kid. He was not rebellious at all. He's a great kid. He claimed, he, he claimed to believe. He, he knew the truth, and he did. He believed the truth, but he wasn't changed. His life wasn't changed. Assenting to the facts of the gospel is not going to get you into heaven. It's not going to free you from your sins. That's to be a real heart change where you believe God transforms you and your life is never the same. People don't have to drag you to church. You can't wait to go to church because you want to be with God and with God's people. The changes in your life are just they're evident and they're obvious to everyone. Again, more on this next week, but false teachers, for them, this is most certainly not the case. They can claim to know God all they want, as most people do, but they deny God with their lives, and they prove themselves to be unbelievers. It's obvious. So this is the character of false teachers, and these ten characteristics that we've looked at today form their portrait. This is an important portrait for you to be familiar with. My hope today is that you got a good look at these false teachers so that you can spot them when they come along. Because nothing could be more hazardous to a sheep than to not know what a wolf looks like. So to rightly respond to false teachers, you must first be able to identify them. So familiarize yourself with these characteristics. Of course, keep yourself free from them, but know them well so that you can be free from the false teacher so that you will not fall prey when they come around. Ephesians 5, 6 through 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let's pray. Precious Father who is in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning to enlighten us and to give us fair warning about false teachers who are out there. I pray, Lord, you would protect us, this church, from their influence, keep us free from them. And I pray that we would be so devoted to the true gospel that no falsehood could enter. I pray for everyone in here that they would know you, that they would know Christ, they would repent of their sins, truly, and and sense this heart change where they are radically different. And then, Lord, knowing the truth, may they be so steadfast in you that No amount of false teaching could ever sway them from the truth. Keep us on the path. Keep us following you. We pray for the Spirit to guide us, for we are weak and and insufficient to know you without your help. So reveal yourself to us, the true gospel. May we be followers of it. In your name we pray. Amen.